Matthew 6 and verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. Thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. We know the Lord himself will add his blessing on to the reading of his word tonight. And again, we're back into the corner, from the corner to the closet, the title of our ongoing series. And just briefly again, let's call upon the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that I will take our thoughts now and on a topic that is so familiar and dealing with words that are so well known. We pray that I will still minister thy truth to our heart. Illuminate our mind, fill our heart, Activate us in our lives that we might magnify the Lord. We have seen in the passage and we have been reminded again that there's a road we can go. And the Lord simply says, they have their reward. And if we dare to go down that path, then we will have the kind of reward he's indicating. But we know our Lord is making it very plain there is another path. And that's the way in which 
He wants us to walk. And the rewards, nothing in comparison, so wonderfully better and superior to our own way and our own choice. So come and speak to our hearts tonight, and may thy word nestle within our minds and hearts, be worked out in our lives, we pray. For Jesus' sake and glory. Amen. Each time that I come to the prayer that we have here outlined in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, going to the verse 13, and I begin to get into the words and find out, Lord, what is being said here? What should I pick up? What are the points that I need to find? I become overwhelmed with the depth of a prayer that I felt I already knew inside out. Now, that was not always the case, because right at the beginning of the series, I did mention the fact that here was a prayer that because of, in my opinion, its constant misuse and its empty repetition in certain circles, and I'm sitting hearing it in different contexts and thinking, who in this audience that gathered congregation where I was most prone to hear it, even understands a word of what they're actually praying. And that often repelled me. But when you begin to really study the prayer, then you can get something of the reach and something of the riches of our Lord's words here. I'm thinking of a preacher who said, and I feel pretty much the way he did, at least to some extent, not in the same league or ground as he is, but trying to get there by God's grace. And he said, there is almost a resistance in my heart to preach about it because it is such a masterpiece. I fear that I would be taking, like my own brush and touching up a Rembrandt, or taking a chisel, he said, and trying to improve a sculpture done by Michelangelo, to do such would be out of my league. Tonight in Matthew 6 and verse 11, that's where we've come to him. We have come to what is arguably, I think, the simplest petition in the entire prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. How well we know that. So we come, first of all, to the subject of this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. And it might almost appear irrelevant as far as we ourselves are concerned. Because really, when was the last time that you and I did pray, Lord, I am, and I'm not just saying, repeat the line here, but Lord, I am pleading with you to provide a meal for me. Because I don't know where the next meal is coming from. When were we last in that kind of situation? Maybe going back a significant number of years. I can think of stories in my mom and dad's day when first they were married, etc., where maybe you were coming closer to that than what we feel today. Maybe for us it would be more relevant to start pleading before the Lord, Lord, keep me from eating. 
the next meal because I don't need it. I rather need to lose weight rather than put more on. You see, we usually have more than enough food for ourselves. And so a request for food, give us this day our daily bread, to be supplied seems to be rather remote. But of course, we know there are many countries in our world today and areas in the world and famine is affecting them and it has impacted them. And they would, they would know what it would be to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because frankly, they haven't a notion where that day's supplies are going to be coming from. And we know over the years about Somalia, it was on the news recently again, and Cambodia previously, and Bangladesh, and Rwanda, and many other African places, and now that the war is on in Ukraine, and the uh, problems in getting the green out, and from the breadbasket of the world supplying the, na- the world's need there, but it doesn't, still doesn't, and I know we moan about the protocol and what we can't get and the things that are being held up and how some shelves are almost empty in certain sections but there is plenty of food there and we have and we praise God for this enough money in our pockets and wallets to buy the food we need and so it does not seem to be as close a fit to our coziness here in Ulster. Bread doesn't appear to be that major prayer request for us in the way that it should be and could be in other parts of our globe. But if we're thinking that, then we're on the wrong track. We really are. We haven't got to the crux of the petition that is here before us. We have failed to grasp what it is really all about. Because this petition, give us this day our daily bread, is not just referring to a loaf of bread. It points to all our physical necessities. Martin Luther is right when in a shorter our smaller and larger catechisms on the Lord's Prayer, when he came to deal with that in a section in each of the catechisms, he said that bread is the symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life. And so we're including not only food, but a healthy body, and we're talking about good weather, we're talking about a house, a home, a wife, children, good government, we're talking about peace, we're talking about a lot of material that all comes together to give us preservation in our lives. So it's the symbol for everything that is necessary to be preserved, and therefore we all do need to plead this prayer on a daily basis. Looking into the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, you'll find that some of the prayers in there, and I'm not recommending that you go and start reading through that or even praying what is written there, but I'm just making a point of information here. Some of the things that you'll have in the prayers there, prayers of, for example, general thanksgiving, you have petitions and you can add them or you can take them out subtract them or add them according to the circumstances that you find yourself in at that particular time. And you'll find those petitions in that book are printed in italics, others are enclosed in brackets, whatever applies in this given circumstance that you're finding yourself in, pray those words, leave the others out if you don't feel them or deem them to be relevant at that particular time. None of the petitions 
in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13, could ever be printed in italics, and none of them, not even the one we're looking at tonight, should be enclosed in brackets. There's no note to the side that's saying, this petition is to be offered only by a poor congregation, but may be omitted by a rich one, not at all. This is a prayer that stands for us all. Before it comes the command of Christ. He says, when ye pray, say. And then he gives us the things that we should be saying. One of which is, give us, us this day, our daily bread. It's a prayer for us all. And it emphasizes God's care for all our minor needs. Let that line sink in to our minds and our whole thought process tonight. It thrills me, and surely it does thrill all of us, to think that the God of eternity, the architect of everything, the one who put the planets in place, the one who has sprinkled the stars through this universe is the same God who comes along right up close to me, who cares for and supplies my physical needs. He is concerned that I have food to eat. He is concerned that I have clothes to wear. He is concerned that I have a place where I can sleep. A lopsided view about the majesty of God has led people to imagine that This God, you know, is too busy. That these ordinary little cares that I have in life are too insignificant for him to be bothered about. Too trifling and annoying to him to ever merit his concern. Why trouble him with those little things, tiny, infinitesimal you need a magnifying glass out to see where the issues are sure the great God of creation wouldn't be interested in the little things in my life so petty way beyond the level of his attention but it's not so the disciples made that mistake those ladies came with their children Just wanted the Lord Jesus to touch them. Simple activity. Only took a second. And they pushed them back and they rebuked those that brought them. And the thought was, take them away. They're an encumbrance, a bother. Our master, he's too busy with the big things to worry and waste his valuable time on these little things. But Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not. And maybe sometimes we come to this text of Scripture like we've done tonight, and we look at that and we're thinking, Give us this day our daily bread. That's so basic. That's so ordinary. Let's pray that and move on quickly to something else more meaty, more challenging. And some people can't imagine that a plea for such ordinary, commonplace items would ever find a place in this impressive prayer. In fact, Erasmus, the great Greek scholar in the 16th century, and he was the one who in 1516 
He prepared a Greek manuscript for the New Testament, and Tyndale would have used that, and Luther would have used that, translating to English and German, and others would have used it as well. And Erasmus, the great scholar, classical genius, he thought this reference to physical food is so out of place in such a heavenly prayer. Many others have felt the same. And they have interpreted this bread, therefore, as being, well, it can't be ordinary bread. It must be something more than just ordinary bread that we are praying for here. Give us this day our daily bread. In my estimate, the reference to physical food and physical issues in this prayer, far from cheapening the prayer, far from devaluing the prayer, actually makes it appear more gracious and more bountiful that my Father's care extends into even this area, as far as I am concerned. And it tells me it is not too trivial a request to bring to God. For our Lord is not simply to be called upon in the great crises. Not simply to be looked to whenever there's a staggering emergency that's pulling us off our feet. Or when some tremendous catastrophe occurs, then we run to him. No, we don't. He is a God for every day. And for all the common events of every day as well. He does not simply care for the movements of the planets and for the policies of nations. He notes the fluttering fall of a sparrow out of the sky onto the ground. He takes time to count the very hairs of our head. Nothing is too small for him to notice. Nothing is too insignificant for him to stoop down and to supply. And so we can say, every need, his hand supplying. Plenteous grace he bestows on his strength, divine relying. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And that's a cry that respects our necessities, not our luxuries. That's why bread here is mentioned. What people look upon as their staple diet. We're not talking about pavlova here. We are talking about bread. And the word bread, as we have it in Matthew 6 and verse 11, it brings us to those Physical necessities, not the luxuries. T.T. Lynch quaintly put it like this. This is a prayer for daily bread, not for daily cake. The adjective that we have here translated as daily. Give us this day our daily bread. I couldn't actually believe it, but when I started reading the commentators here, they were saying that You know, that has caused Bible translators all kinds of problems. The word that we have translated daily. And why it caused them a lot of issues. It's the only time that it appears. Doesn't occur anywhere else in literature. 
And so they're thinking, what do we compare with this? And we don't have another word to compare with it. How is this used in other contexts? We can't see it being used anywhere else. And so we have it only here. And the result was confusion. Would you believe that there are at least 30 different meanings that have been attached to the word daily? Our translators in the authorized version in my opinion, pretty much hit the nail on the head when they rendered the word in English as daily. Daily bread compares well with what we have in Luke 11 and verse 3. Others would make the word mean, and I can live with this as well, sufficient to sustain me. Sufficient to sustain me. An ancient version translates it, bread for my need. And one Bible commentator, Goddy, says, Human wants are here reduced to the minimum. So I'm not looking, as we've said, for luxury after luxury after luxury, but I'm looking, Lord, baseline level, keep me in life, keep me surviving. I'm looking for what is sufficient to sustain me daily bread. Like Israel with the manna in the wilderness. They got exactly enough, no more, no less, to meet their daily need. And we are to pray only for as much as we will need for the day. So I can't take this text and start saying, Lord, I need luxuries. That's my palate, my taste demands those. No. Give us this day our daily bread. And if the Lord leads us into the realm of luxuries, then that's entirely a matter for His grace and praise Him for His grace in that department. But what He promises and pledges is the necessities. Proverbs 30, the verse 8 and 9. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Glorious balance. That's the attitude behind Matthew 6 and 11. It's not a case of coming and crying, Lord, give me more and more and even better things. No, it's, Lord, give me what I need. Rome was strong. Rome was vigorous. Rome was happy when her people lived simply. Her most noble sons thought it no shame at all to put their backs into manual labor. But when Rome began to conquer, and when wealth and luxury came streaming in upon her, her people despised honest and regular toil, and they lived on the doles of the emperor, and her nobles wasted tens of thousands of pounds on a single banquet. And Rome became rotten and weak and wretched. And luxury, what does it do still? It still corrupts the soul. It's always easier 
to be a Christian in a peasant's hut than in Caesar's household. Therefore this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. The subject of this petition, then the submission in this petition... There's an emphasis running through this line, give us this day our daily bread, and what it emphasizes is our absolute dependence on God for even the smallest of things. Our absolute dependence on God for even the smallest things. There's nothing we can do for ourselves. Jesus said, without me ye can do nothing. And sometimes we forget that. And here's a reminder. Here's a kneel fastened in a sure place. Give us bread. That's what he's telling us to do. Pray for that. Give us bread. Because we're dependent on him for that. Even the smallest thing. Ultimately, we know everything is for the glory of God. That includes prayer. Whatever we pray for, we must have as our first priority God's glory, not merely our gain. Prayer is not an exercise in badgering God and trying all manner of tricks and maneuvers in an attempt to get Him to change His mind and align His will with our will and give us what we want and lead us onto the ground of luxury. J.I. Packer had it right when he said, although sadly, He went on to get a lot of things wrong, but he had this right. The prayer of a Christian is not an attempt to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of helplessness and dependence. Lord, if I do not get your bread, I die. And so this petition in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread, affirms God is the source of everything. It teaches thankfulness. It prompts gratitude. It directs us away from ourselves as though we're the supplying agent to the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. We are saying, Lord, I want thee to know That I realize that thou art the sole source of my life. This glorifies him. Remember our primary purpose is not to live to ourselves. But live to the glory of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 Paul says there. Wherefore whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, eating the bread God supplies, that's included, do all to the glory of God. How can our eating be to the glory of God? Well, when we remember the source of our food and the capacity we have to enjoy it, both come from God, then we glorify Him. We live in an age when there hasn't been a greater degree of concern for environmental issues what we have today and protesters on the extreme sides of things and people saying well you know we need to reduce the carbon footprint and afraid of nuclear reactors and against gas even though it's one of the cleanest forms of energy 
We don't like sewage polluting our rivers. Of course we don't. But we have these people going off on overpopulation. Just listen to some of them. Bill Gates, etc. Well, he's fine. He's got plenty of room. Plenty of acreage bought up. He'll not run out of space. But he's worried our planet's running out of space because there are too many people on it. This isn't a new thing. He's been on this hobby horse, as have many others, movers and shakers in our world, trying to get the population down. These guys have not honorable motives. Just listen to them. We don't like smog and we don't like waste that's left behind people and chemicals that are getting access to our bodies. Though that can be ironic. And a mighty hue and cry goes up about the way that man is polluting the resources of this earth. And yeah, I can see some of that. Some of that. What I don't get is the kind of ideology that fuels much of this crusade because that's maladjusted. And we see man around in despair today. And with all the money he has, with all the resources he had, with all of the grace that God has given him, with all the intelligence that he has imbued upon him, and yet man is what he doing. Why he's talking about environmentalism, he is destroying the environment himself. According to this book, there will come a time when God will turn the lights out in the heavens. Matthew 24, 29, and you don't need to worry about man being able to do it. There will come a time when he will cause blood to be of such a quantity it will turn the rivers into blood. Revelation 6 and 4. When he will allow the seas to swallow up ships and destroy the fish that are in it. Revelation 8 and 8, Revelation 16 and 3. There will be a time when this earth will be devastated. The economic system that men have striven so hard and brutally to build up will crash. Because God will blow it apart. Revelation 18. The sound of music will be heard no longer. Revelation 18 and the verse 22. Do you know what man is missing? All his calculations. In all of these summits where he thinks he's sounding very intelligent. Man is leaving God out of every calculation there. He never considers that were it not for the sustaining power of God, this whole world would have been blown apart long ago. Even scientists realize that when all of their precise and mind-boggling calculations have been made, there is this unknown element in the universe that makes everything hang together. And science doesn't have a name for that. We do. For the Bible has the answer. In Hebrews 1 and 3, in Colossians 1 and 17, what are we told? That Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the very glue of the galaxies. He's the one holding it together. It's not us. And it never will be. Way beyond the power of puny man. Yes, we exercise responsibility over the created order. Of course we do. 
No one's disputing that. But the kind of craziness that we hear and the deadlines and it'll be done by 2025 and it'll be done by 2050 deluding themselves. Impossible targets. Everything we have is from the hand of God. James 1 and 17. He sends the rain to make things groom. He causes the season to change. He produces the minerals that will make the soil fertile. He provides the natural resources that we use to propel ourselves around by. He provides the materials from which we make our clothing. He provides. We could go on and on and on. And it's only a fool that says we can't harness the potential that God in his grace has given us in this world. Our daily bread, the necessities of life, are all from the Lord. It's not that long since we celebrated harvest and we sang all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above then. Thank the Lord, oh thank the Lord for all his love. He provides food. Genesis 1, 29-31, and God said, Behold, I have given you, I have given you, Every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. God is providing for all life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so we have a whole variety of food here, plant food, greens, nuts, vegetables, fruits, animal foods, meat and dairy products, condiments for flavoring the food we eat. What variety! He could have designed that we had mud for breakfast. Mud for lunch. Mud for dinner. He could have made everything bland and colored gray. But he is the God of marvelous variety. And what abundance as well. What vastness. An incredible amount of food in this world. Some people might say, well, hold on a moment. Don't get too carried away with all this stuff. I earn my money. To them I say... Just read Deuteronomy chapter 8 to verse 18 and you'll find where you're getting your money from. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. It's God who has given us the power to bend our back, open our mouth, talk, think, make a living. Anything we are giving back to God as we see it, as our activity is doing... It's something that he has originally given to us. Thomas Watson, brilliant Puritan preacher with a real heart for God, wrote in his book, The Lord's Prayer, If all be a gift, see the odious ingratitude of men who sin against their giver. God feeds them and they fight against him. He gives them bread. They give him insults. How unworthy is this? And he goes on, Thomas Watson. Uses a word that we don't really use anymore. Oh, how horrid is it to sin against a bountiful God. To strike the hands that 
relieve us. And that's been happening away since the beginning of time. Jeshurun, for example, in Deuteronomy 32, the verse 15, we're told, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Then he forsook God. You see, he got into the realm of luxury. And then he forgot it was God who had given him all of that bounty. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And you have seen it in life. With some people, the more they get, the more ungrateful they become. We need to make sure, Lord, don't let that happen to me. And that's why this daily prayer for bread is put in here as the first petition that is coming from us for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's just hitting all the notes here, reminding us of the source of every physical provision. The subject of this petition, submission in this petition, security about this petition, give us this day our daily bread. Have I a right to ask God for my daily needs? Is this petition valid? Quite apart from the fact that Jesus commanded us to pray the prayer, God has promised to meet our physical needs. He has promised. It's tremendous to know that he's done that. Those who don't know God have no such claim upon him. He may feed the unrighteous as a result of his gracious and sovereign choice and his common grace, but he is not bound to do that. There is no promise they can claim for it. But what do I read in, for example, and look at the texts that we could bring in, and these are by no means exhaustive. But in Psalm 37, the verse 3 and 18 and 19, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. God promises, I will provide for my own even when there is famine. Psalm 37, 25, 26, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. That's not saying we're going to be sitting down to a table that's bowing under the weight of the food put upon it, a feast every single time, because Proverbs 15 and 17 tells us, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. You know what? When our relationship with God is right, even our food doesn't have to be fancy. Psalm 33 18 and 19, Psalm 34, 9 and 10, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 8 to 10, Proverbs 10 and 3, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, all teaching the same thing. Oh, hold on a minute, you're missing something very fundamental. You're just skimming right over it because it would be inconvenient to deal with. Doesn't the Lord allow Christians to die of starvation? I mean, those pictures we have projected into our television screens. Are there not Christians among those people who are starving? 
Haven't you read Hebrews chapter 11? Where you find there people who had colossal faith in God. Saints of the highest order. We couldn't measure anywhere near them. The world itself was not worthy of those people walking among them. Yet they were persecuted. They were slaughtered. They often went without food. They didn't have shelter. They didn't have clothing. And the Lord has promised, has he? All this. What happened to them? Did they fall outside the realm of the promise? No. God supplies our needs only until it is time for us to die. He supplies our needs only until it is time for us to die. And until his sovereign plan dictates otherwise, our needs will be met. I found it fascinating to look into a country most ungodly, India, where Hinduism is the religion of 80% of that massive population of 1.413 billion and rising by the minute, 17.7% almost one-fifth of the total world population. But the legacy of Hinduism in the Orient is deprivation. In India, men forsake their wives, their children, justifying food. Families commit suicide together. Mothers throw their babies into the waters of the Ganges. Sacrifices to the gods. Think there's religious virtue in having them die as a sacrifice rather than from malnutrition. But the issue, the big issue was not whether or not India can produce enough food because of its own resources. In fact, the former Prime Minister, Indira Gandhi, said there are enough resources in India to feed the entire nation and feed other nations as well. And she was right. But their religion gets in the way of using a lot of these resources. So six out of ten people in Calcutta live in the streets without adequate food or shelter or clothing. 10.23 million die every year. 24.02 million are born. Which means more and more end up living on the streets. In poverty. And the problem can be traced back in big measure to the religion of the people. There's a loss of resources for human needs for to cows, for example. Do you know there are 330 million gods in India? The sacred cow, that phrase, has its origin in India. Everything coming from a cow considered to be sacred, to kill or eat a cow, is thought to be a sin worse than cannibalism. Now, in certain areas of India, I know things have changed. Their meat industry now is huge, although they say it's all buffalo. Many suspect it might not just be that. 
But the cows eat about 20% of India's food supply. And I indicated there could be a surplus of food that they're not using for their own people or anybody else. Held up in silos and everything else, 15% of which of their food is eaten by mice and rats. You can read all about this on the internet. It's well publicized. What you have is, with these animals, they think every animal is somebody reincarnated on their way up the scale or on their way down the scale to kill an animal. It'll trigger the cycle of karma and push you into another life or them into another life that is not intended for them. So even they allow the mice to live and the rats to live and they siphon off the food supplies of their country and reduce many of their people to desperate need. Give us this day our daily bread. And we know as God's children, if we walk in submission to his righteous will, he will take care of our physical needs. Security about this petition, finally and briefly, the season for this petition. Notice when the supplies for this physical frame of ours come. Look at the timing here. Give us this day. This day. Our daily bread. Take it a day at a time. Get today's need met. Sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. Our Lord teaching in Matthew chapter 6. And what it stresses here is. There is contentment. That flows from living with a day by day. Confidence in the provision of the Lord. To wake up in the morning. All you may need he will provide. God will take care of you. Right down to the level of bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, a different application before I close, and we must make this. The first reference in Matthew 6, 11 is to material bread. Our Lord showed how vital that was. You remember the feeding of the 5,000 plus But those people had listened to spiritual teaching all day. And our Lord appreciates they're exhausted. They have another need. They have a physical need. Give ye them to eat, he said to the disciples. They need bread. And he used the bread supplied by the little lad that day to meet that physical need. But we know our Lord also said in Matthew 4 and 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God shall man live. We know that our Lord himself is the bread of God come down from heaven, that a man should eat thereof and not die. And we need that bread, the spiritual bread, every day. We need fresh supplies every day. We need to plead for fresh supplies every day. And we need to work for fresh supplies every day so that we can sing. And new supplies each day I meet while pressing up to God.
Let's not miss our daily portion of God's Word each and every day, because that too He will supply. Give us this day our daily bread.